All right, Sean, thank you so much for joining us today for My Community pleasure. Quotes. If I can, have you say and spell your first and last name for us. It's a real common name you see all the time. No, it's Seen, S-E-A-N, mm -hmm. last name is Terchalik, T-R-C-A-L-E-K. I spent a lot of my life spelling my name. Yeah, I bet you did. Mm -hmm. um, that's not a very common name, so tell me where you're from. And I'm uh, originally from Abbeville, okay. was born in Homa, but moved to Abbeville as a little, really little kid. Okay. My dad was, a, was from Texas, was a, a Texas Czech, okay. and uh, came here in the oil business in the 50s. Mm -hmm. And we moved to Abbeville when I was a year and a half old, mm -hmm. and I was raised in Abbeville. Okay. Um, you know, my dad was a was a was a Czech, and my mom mm -hmm. was a Cajun from Opelousas. So, how I think did the two of them meet? They he was he was in town in Opelousas working. There was a a seismographing office in Opelousas, and his brother, my uncle, uh, you know, there were two Tchalaks in the state of Louisiana actually at that time. And my, his brother told him about work in Opelousas. He came to Opelousas and he met my mom while he was living, in, while he was living there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So tell me about uh, what you're currently doing right now. I'm the general manager at KDN, um, Fox, NBC, and my network. Mm -hmm. um, that keeps me busy. I also am a musician and okay. play solo, uh, play guitar and sing solo, and I'm also in a, in a band. The overtime band playing around Lafayette, but I, I, I keep playing busy. To get to be a general manager, I, I would think that you uh, don't, you can't really turn that off. That's something that's with you 24 7. I'm sure your phone is nonstop. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is that like, and how did you get to that position? Well, it. it it, it can be draining because you, you're always connected. I mean, you know, television, you know, as we know here at AOC, television is 24 7. Mm -hmm. And I can't step away from it because now I'm not always watching it right. and I do have a life, but technical problems happen. I mean, you know, we yeah. had a, we had a trans, we've, we'll have a transmitter go down mm -hmm. and people text me and I'll respond, I'll join in with my team to respond to Facebook messages. Mm -hmm. If there's a question about programming, I've got to, I've got to be tethered to my phone yeah. 24-7. Uh, I got to this point just by a, a long career in broadcasting. Okay. Um, growing up in Abbeville, we, were, uh, we, we had a radio station in Abbeville, KROF, and there was a station in Kaplan, KMDL, which is now The Dog. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a senior at Vermillion Catholic. Okay. One of my buddies, uh, KMDL had been on the air maybe a year. And one of my buddies was working, a guy named Gabe Adams was working weekends. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I can, I can remember, the, we, were in, uh, we were in physics class. I remember the classroom. And we didn't do a whole lot in physics. Our teacher was a, was a coach. And so we were just hanging out. And he said, hey, you know, I'm doing a weekend shift at the radio station in Kaplan, and they're looking for disc jockeys. And I was, I ran my mouth a lot, you know. <laughs> And, you know, I was on the speech team, debate yeah. team. And so that day after school, we went to the station and I read some copy and, and got a, a, a job as a disc jockey, which was a great back then. Mm -hmm. And that was 1982. I mean, okay. that was 34 yeah. years ago. You know, now, you know, you don't have a lot of weekend disc jockeys. A lot of that stuff is pre-recorded. But it was a great job. I used it. I worked my way through college working in radio. Um, and when I graduated from USL, there was an opening at, at TV3 for... For an, they called a sales trainee. It was basically just come to work and and make get commission on whatever you sell, 
and have spent most of my career in, uh, in, in broadcast sales. I've done television sales, I've done web sales, I've done uh, internet sales, I launched ad sales on LUS Fiber, mm -hmm. um, but always around media and marketing. At my heart, I'm a broadcaster. Mm -hmm. I, it's just it's just what yeah. I do, yeah. and um, I got to be the general manager. You know, most general managers come from a sales background, yeah. um, and I work for some great people who 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 taught me the business and and taught me leadership skills. I mean, yeah. you know, it's 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 not our, my job is not so much how much I know, uh, but it's really a leadership job because there are a lot of sure. this. We have 72 employees in our wow. building. That do a, that do jobs ranging from sales to photography to writing, to engineering. You know, and I don't, I can't. I know a little bit about a lot of the business mm -hmm. after after a lot of years. Right. I've been in television since eight, January of '89, so that's mm -hmm. can't do the math on that. But that's what 30, <laughs> 30 years. You know, yeah. going on thirty yeah. years. Um, well, in speaking of broadcasting, because you're right, we're here at AOC and. People can do so many things. Of course, they can have a television show here and podcasting. And uh, we have a small staff. We only have 11 people total. And all of us wear different hats here. And some of us have to play technical, <coughs> sometimes cameraman, or working on the uh, going on airs. We have to be our mm -hmm. own talent mm -hmm. for the newspaper show and things like that. And each of us, in our own right, even myself, I've been here one year, I've made a mistake by not turning on the TriCaster and the screen went black. Audio was perfect, but I forgot to turn yeah, on the graphics. Yeah, yeah. What's the biggest mistake you've ever made in broadcasting? Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, can I rank them one to 27? No. Uh, the, the, the biggest mistake I've made in broadcasting was my, the first, I tell this story a lot, the, my first board shift at KMDL when I was on my own, we would, we would spent several weeks with a trainer, with a guy who, with a, an older disc jockey, and it was the first time he let me do a break on my own. Uh -huh. And this was a Saturday morning, you know, early, 6.15 probably in the morning, and he was in the, uh, he was in the adjoining room, and I put on my headphones and I, had, I wrote out exactly what I was going to say, you know, and I... I delivered it all, and man, it was great. And I took my headphones off, and I couldn't hear anything. And so I just yelled out, you know, Scott, what the, and I used an expletive that started with, with an F, uh, is going wrong. Well, the reason why I was quiet is when the mic is turned on, everything is silent. So I yelled that into a live microphone uh, that went out over five or six parishes. Were you fired? No, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. I don't know. I, probably because it was six fifteen in the morning and no one and no one heard. Um, Were you scolded? Uh, no, I, no. You know, I, I, my boss at the time was a guy was Ernie Alexander, who a lot of people know. Ernie's Ernie's gone. Um, so Ernie, if Ernie would probably be mad if he heard this story, but no, I mean the 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 dish jockey that was training me just said, "Hey, it happens." He said, "Don't answer the phone," you know, because people are going to call and complain. Sure. And, and I kind of let it go. I mean, yeah. um, but, you know, slip-ups on the air, uh, happen. They, happen. they happen, as you yeah. know. But, but I learned uh, a lesson that I teach all broadcasters or I teach anybody when they want to know. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're around microphones, watch your language. Always pretend that they're on. Pretend that they're on. Mm -hmm. And 
and I'm not trying to be goody-goody or preachy, but it's taught me to watch my language when I'm not working, which is not a bad thing. Right. Uh, because if that's not in your vernacular, mm -hmm. then you're less likely for it to slip True. over the air. So, you know, you kind of try to watch. Foul-mouthed people um, in, in broadcasting are the ones that usually make mistakes. And when I was yeah. a senior in high school, I was pretty foul-mouthed. But no, we've, you know, I've, 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 you know, I've, I've you know, in a, in a rush, uh, years ago at KADN, we were printing out hurricane guides, mm -hmm. and uh, I got confused and published, you know, 30,000 hurricane guides with the wrong insurance company ad on the back, uh, and, you know, that well. you know, cost, the, cost the company $10,000, and, you know, I didn't get, I didn't get fired. I've always been able to talk myself out of a jam, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, so, you know, we're all human, so we all do make mistakes. Sure. Now, whenever you were a child, what, what did you want to be when you grew up? Was it something in broadcasting or no? Um, no, I, early on, you know, when you grow up in a small town, I'm, I'm 53, you're going to be, I, 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 I joke, but it's pre really pretty serious, you're going to be, and, and if, if you do well in school, and I did well in school, you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a priest. Uh, and, and so when I was really little, I thought I was going to be a priest. Okay. Uh, and that lasted till I was probably 10 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought for a while that I wanted to be a lawyer, but I, but I spent most of my teen years uh, thinking I wanted to be a veterinarian oh. because I liked animals. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem was I, no one thought to tell me that being a doctor was you had to be good in science. And I'm not a scientist. Right. Uh, so I found out after about three hours at LSU that pre-veterinary medicine wasn't going wasn't gonna to cut it. Right. I will say that as soon as I got into radio in December of 82, during my senior year, I knew that I wanted at some point in time to do something where I, I, I was able to make a living mm -hmm. off of my voice or my, or, or my image. Yeah. Whether that meant being an actor, mm -hmm. uh, I would, I've, or being, just being an announcer, you know, right. just being a commercial announcer. Yeah. And for the, you know, I've done a lot of different things in our business. Mm -hmm. Most of my career has been in a television station, but I've done a lot of different things. But I, I do feel lucky and blessed that to, really I'm living, you know, living a, a dream that, that I didn't set out specific. I never aspired, well, I shouldn't say that. I didn't wake up and have a burning desire to be the general manager of a television station. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be in television. I wanted to make a living. I wanted to make a difference in my community. Um, and, and through hard work and luck, you know, I ended up, ended up being blessed to, to be a general manager. At, and look, there, you know, there are only three local broadcasts, over-the-air yeah. broadcast stations, four. Yeah. Uh, so that it's, 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 I don't take that for granted. Right. Um, well, let's talk about television. What are some of your favorite shows? When you like to be at home and kick back and relax, if you do such a thing, what I, yeah, do you like to watch on TV? Um, I am a Seinfeld freak. Okay. Uh, a lot of people think that they're Seinfeld freaks. They're not in my league. No. Uh, in I other words, you would do good on a Seinfeld oh, trivia yeah, night. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I, I've seen every episode of Seinfeld probably I may have seen every each episode of Seinfeld 50 times. 
No, I mean, I will watch You're it. You're a diehard fan. Yeah, I can, I can, there are some episodes when I can actually repeat the dialogue throughout the entire show. Um, it, it's, What's your favorite episode? Oh, wow. I, I can't. They're all great. That's, it was such a, it was a, it, what, with Seinfeld, because there, was so, there wasn't usually just one theme, there were several things going on. Each shows have different right. funny parts. And sometimes the shows were about nothing, yeah, yeah. but just generally funny. Who just, was your favorite character? Um, oh, probably Kramer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I identified with George just for some, maybe just because he was bald. Um, <laughs> but it, it's it was it's you know and you know to each his own. I mean it, it was it was it was on NBC and was really popular when it was in first run. And I was a sales manager of an NBC station up in Monroe. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were, I was making money off of it. Yeah. Uh, but I really didn't get to be a fan, a true fan of it, until it went into syndication. Mm -hmm. uh, so I love Seinfeld. I like, uh, you know, I like watching, I like, uh, I like college football. Okay. I like Saints football. Um, I like History Channel. Mm -hmm. I've always been a history buff. A lot of pretty male-oriented television, okay. you know. No problem. Yeah, yeah, I mean, History Channel, Seinfeld, and football, but, you know, that, that's kind of... That's a know. good mix. And and I'm a, ma a huge fan of the new NBC show, This Is Us. I haven't watched it, yeah. but I've heard wonderful yeah, it's things about Come, it's, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just it's special television. Yeah. Um, do you like to read? Are you a reader? Um, I do like to read mm -hmm. when I get the chance, mm -hmm. you know. I, I, I lead a really... I, I lead a pretty busy life with, mm -hmm. with work, with music. I've got, you know, I've got a six-year-old son. Mm -hmm. um, I've got twenty-four-year-old grown, uh, grown kids. Yeah, um, you probably don't have time to. I'm read. on. I'm involved <laughs> in the community. I don't have a lot of time, but I've gotten to, when I do read. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've read all the, you know. Uh, <laughs> now I'm drawing a blank on his name. The uh, the Pelican Brief. Uh, Grisham, John Grisham. John Grisham, uh, yeah. John Grisham a, a big fan of John Grisham. I like historical biographies, mm -hmm. you know, Johnny Cash's biography, mm -hmm. Abraham Lincoln's biography. Um, but I, my, my, my escape lately has been podcasts, you know. Yeah. It's late in the evening rather than sitting and watching, uh, you know, watching television uh, after nine o'clock, you know, I'll put on a podcast mm -hmm. and uh, if it's a really good podcast, it'll keep me awake. 30 minutes is kind of my limit. Yeah. If I see a podcast that's an hour long, I know that mm -hmm. I'm going to have trouble. Uh, but a lot of times it just knocks me out and helps me to go to sleep. Yes, that's, you know, that's, but I don't, that's okay. I, I don't, I'm not a, I, I would never consider myself a voracious reader. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you mentioned about podcasts, and we do a lot of them here at AOC. And I want to mention that you are a board member here at AOC. Yes. How did you first get involved in um, what are some of your goals as a board member of AOC? Um, I, I value my role as a board member uh, for AOC essentially because of the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. I have been passionate about the First Amendment since I was young. Mm -hmm. You know, the freedom to speak my mind as long as I wasn't violating the law with that speech mm -hmm. um, and to not go to jail for it. And to really know that, uh, not to know that there weren't consequences, if, and, and, and I suffered consequences from, from running my mouth, mm -hmm. but to be able to speak, speak up against my government and not, and not go to jail for it. So the First Amendment's passionate, and, and that's what AOC to me is at its core. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's a vehicle, television and digital, for expression, for speech. 
Um, and I think that um, we always talk about how this is an important part time in history, but this certainly is a unique time in our history in regards to, to free speech. Mm -hmm. uh, as a broadcaster, um, AOC appeals to me in a special way. You know, I don't compete with AOC as a broadcaster, but I appreciate AOC because AOC gives voice and gives, uh, gives space and gives a voice to issues and people that I would not be able to on my television station simply because my model is to make money, yeah. is to monetize it. And if it doesn't have a huge audience, then I, I, don't, I don't air it. That's right. just, you know. So it's, it's really, I, I, I want to do everything I can to keep that pipeline going in our community. Um, and I got involved with AOC just through fellow friends who were, broad, uh, who were broadcasters, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, radio friends who, who I knew were involved with AOC. I had a show on AOC in the late 80s. Oh. Um, Any aspirations to bring it back? It was the it was the Gallet Sports Report. Oh my! And okay. it was hosted by me and Michael Lotif, who okay. is a former softball coach at UL. Okay. Um, I don't know that Mike would want to do the show. <laughs> uh, and it was we just did goofy little sports segments. Um, so that was my first exposure with AOC, and I can remember at the time thinking, I can't believe that there's a place that is going to put this on the air. And the whole concept, even to this day, amazes me that if you're a member. You have access to equipment, you have access to training that, I mean, basically handed to you on a silver platter to go produce yeah. something, go make a TV show, do, you know, do an interview. And, 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 I, and, I, and I do have plans to, do, to, do, to be involved in programming that center around issues that are important to me. Race relations, for example, which is a big, which is a big part of, of mm -hmm. a big passion of mine. No, I, it, we, if we have got to protect freedom of speech. We've got to protect local broadcasters, and I know I have a vested interest in that, sure. but I don't like the vilification of quote unquote the media mm -hmm. that we hear because the media is us. Right. We are the media. Mm -hmm. You know, the citizens of Lafayette are broadcast television. The citizens of Lafayette make are what we cover in our newscasts. They, they play on football teams that we cover. They put, send their kids to school and our weather forecasters tell them whether to wear a coat or not. Mm -hmm. We run television shows that people want to watch. At AOC, it's the same thing. We run shows that people want to watch, but we also provide a vehicle for somebody. If you've got something you're passionate about, we've got a vehicle for you. So that's, it's, 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 it, it goes hand in hand with my broadcast background. Yeah. Um, with AOC, uh, we are a nonprofit organization, and there are many nonprofit organizations in Acadiana. Do you volunteer, or are you involved with any other, you know, charity type of work in the community? Um, I'm very involved in the community. Uh, always have been, but in, in my role as general manager uh, of KADN I, exposes me to a lot of a, a lot of people. Mm -hmm and gives me an opportunity to, to give back. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm on the, the board of directors of the United Way of Acadiana. Uh, I am involved with the Junior League of Lafayette. Mm -hmm. I'm involved with United Blood Services. Nice. Uh, I'm on the board of directors of the Louisiana Association of Broadcasters. Mm -hmm. uh, I do, uh, I, I participate in, uh, I'm currently participating in, a, in, a, in a, a workshop series called The Dialogue on Race Louisiana. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I know I'm probably leaving some boards out. Sure. There's United Way, AOC, I think I got them, United Way, AOC, United Blood Services, Louisiana Association of Broadcasters, and the Junior League. That's a lot. Yeah, and the Junior <laughs> League's uh, Community Advisory Council. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. We, we uh, I've also been involved in the past with Faith House okay. in, uh, in helping, right. helping fundraisers for Faith House, mm -hmm. um, for the Acadian Outreach Center. Um, I, I, there's only so many, you know, if it's something that I'm passionate about, uh, I, I want to do whatever I can. Mm -hmm. um, my, I was taught a long time ago, one of my first mentors was my elementary school principal, a woman by the name of Dolores Mouton. I went to a little small school in Abbeville um, was a, it was a predominantly black school. I think there were, we were a handful of white kids, and Miss Mouton was a black lady, and she was riding me one day because I wasn't. I was, you know, I was. Um, today we call it ADD. I mean, I was, I was bored easily, and I was a class clown, and uh. and she was, she was getting on me one day, and I said, you know, Miss Mouton, you know, why, you know, why are you always picking on me? She said, I'm not picking on you. She said, you, I expect more from you, mm -hmm. and she t introduced me to that line of, you know, who of those who are given much, much is expected, of those who are given more, more is expected. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's an obligation to, 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 to do, service mm -hmm. to me is an obligation. Mm -hmm. um, I was raised as a little kid to, to do volunteer work, um, to, to, to help in, in soup kitchens, to, uh, I would go buy groceries for the, the older ladies in the neighborhood, you know, and that was instilled in me and my parent, by my parents. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your parents. Um, I have great parents. My father uh, passed away in 1989 when I was 19. My dad was a World War II veteran, uh, Purple Heart recipient. Um, he was a sensitive, uh, funny, big-hearted guy. Uh, as a World War II vet and a Texan, you would think he would be crusty, uh, <laughs> but he was just a big softy. Uh, he had worked in the oil field and had uh, had broke had messed up his back, so was 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 medically retired. Mm -hmm. So we spent a lot of time together. Mm -hmm. My sibling, I have a brother and two sisters that are a lot older than me, twelve, mm -hmm. ten, and eight years older than me. So mm -hmm. I spent well, from the, from the time I was maybe nine or ten on, pretty much as an only child. I mean, the, you know, my siblings were were, were gone. Uh, so I got to spend a bunch of time with my dad. I was very close to my dad, okay. uh, and his his death when I was nineteen really was a was a turning point in my life. Uh, my mom is uh, Louise from Opelousas originally. Uh, she is the ultimate mother hen. Mm -hmm. She is also a big heart. She was the disciplinarian in the family, but she wasn't mean. She was, she's strong-willed mm -hmm. uh, and wanted us to be strong-willed. Um, as she's gotten older, she's she was the she was the backbone. She was the the faith. You know, she was the one that got us to church. Mm -hmm. You know, um, my dad was the one that got me to the ballpark. Uh -huh. um, we were all, always heavily involved in sports. My father coached me in baseball, and um, but we were very, uh, very family was important to us. Mm -hmm. You know, Sundays in Abbeville were you know Sunday everybody came in the house. Mom cooked. My mom worked an awful lot. Okay. You know, mom was uh, a school, an, an aide uh, for, for years. And then our family uh, was involved with a seafood restaurant in Abbeville. Mm -hmm. And so mom would, go, would work at school from 7.30 to 3.30, come home for an hour, 
and then go to the restaurant from 4.30 to, to 9.30. So mom, I spent most of my time with my dad. Mm -hmm. What my mom taught me was, and I didn't realize it until much later, mm -hmm. and really until recently, you know, mom taught me uh, a work ethic. Mom mm -hmm. taught me that there's no shame in work, regardless of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I always knew that I would, that I would probably never be unemployed if my mom was around, because my mom would tell me, you know, before you, you know, before you spend time unemployed, go get a job. Go get a job. If you're making a hundred thousand dollars and you lose your job. Don't hold out for another $100,000 a year. Go get a job. Go make minimum wage, but work. Mm -hmm. And that's, that, that's, that's stuck with me. Mm -hmm. um, my father was, uh, was a recovering alcoholic. Okay. Uh, and I'm also a recovering alcoholic. Okay. Um, and so there was kind of a, a kinship there mm -hmm. that didn't happen until way after my father was gone. Okay. Uh, but it's, 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 it's part of me. It's part mm -hmm. of who I am. And how's that going? How is it's it's a it's a journey, you yeah. know. Um, it's it's it was a decision I made. I was not, um, you know, I was not didn't get in trouble, mm -hmm. you know, didn't lose my family, didn't lose my job. Mm -hmm. uh, most people that knew me didn't realize that it was something that I had mm -hmm. uh, struggled with or thought about, and again was very functioning. Mm -hmm. But for years, and as the child of an alcoholic, just kind of thought, yeah, you know, might be something here. But it really, for me, was it was a decision to, to, to go to, 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 to clear my head, to be a better father. I, at the time, had a, you know, had a four-year-old, had even though my other kids were grown, mm -hmm. and just kind of, you know, it, my midlife crisis was 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 getting sober. You know, it was basically wow. saying, hey, I want to spend the rest. I don't. I, while I probably have fewer years ahead of me than behind me, now would be a good time to see what it would be like. Uh, would would be like to make a change. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, it's just been the spiritual principles, the the clearing of my mind, the way of life. It's 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 incredible. You know, mm -hmm. it's not about uh, about being ill. It's not about struggling. It's not about white knuckling. We live in South Louisiana. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're, you know, a lot, lot of alcohol around here, but it's not, it, it, that's not what recovery is for me. Recovery for me is just, it's just a way of life, mm -hmm. you know, um, but it's, it's, it's part of who I am. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, do you have any regrets about anything? Wow. Um, I regret that I didn't exercise more. I exercise now, okay. but it's just harder now when you're 53. You know, so I feel like if I had exercised for, if I kept active, you know, growing up was an athlete, uh, and just you know, as life just got lazier as life came on. Sure. You know, a friend of mine asked me, you know, if you could go back to your 20s, what would you do? And I said, I would go jog. I would jog because I would love to know what it felt like just to go run around the block. <laughs> People who run for fun. Mm -hmm. Just kind of, it's kind of amazed me. Yes. You know, um, <laughs> I, I also, if I have a regret, I regret that I didn't, uh, didn't, didn't sober up sooner. Uh, and again, my, my, my illness was not, it was, it was not about how much, you know, I drank, you know, it was, it was just about, you know, be about being present, mm -hmm. you know, and about just being more peaceful. Okay. I think if I had, you know, if I had, you know, addressed some, you know, some, some, some of those issues earlier, mm -hmm. uh, that 
might have had a few more years of uh, more years of, of peaceful. But yeah. you know, our life, we, I believe that life unveils itself the way it's supposed to be. You know that that you know we're not in charge, and so it's kind of hard to say that it's kind of hard for me to have regrets because. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, we are Put where we are. Put your where you are. Yeah, yeah, you know. You do the best you can. Yeah. You know, you, do the, you try to make the next best decision. Mm -hmm. You know, you love those people around you. Um, you. You know, you recognize that you're human and you're going to make mistakes. Some people make bigger mistakes than others. Um, uh, I had a, a turning point in my life was years ago. My father was still alive. I was working... Um, and, you know, just to get philosophical, I was working at KROF in Abbeville and looked at the teletype at the newswire one day and the state of Louisiana was looking for witnesses for an execution at Angola. And I was, I just thought, hey, that'd be kind of cool. Didn't give it any thought. So I filled out this paperwork and I sent it in. I didn't tell anybody. And I got a, a letter saying that I had been chosen to witness an execution. This would have been in 1984. And... So I went home. Did you tell your parents? Well, I, I, I went home okay. and told my dad, and my dad was kind. Of, my dad was like, yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, my mom, though, that was a turning point. My mom said, she said, let me. I'm just look. You're grown. I was an adult then. She said two things to keep in mind. You can never unsee anything. And she said, and this is really the, the really the, the the thing that stuck with me. Everyone had a parent. Everyone, no matter how evil or how bad or what they've done, had a mother who loved them, or at least had a mother. And just recognize that that person who is being executed has, may have a family, you know? And it just, it didn't, it didn't change my position on capital punishment. Mm -hmm. It just kind of made me realize that the humanness in everybody. Some pe people, some people have. So my question is, did you go? I did not go. You did not go. I, I, just, I, de I decided not it. to. Mm -hmm. uh, and my mom, my mom didn't say, you know, I was 18. My mom didn't say, you're not going to do this. She just said, hey, something for you to think about, you know. And but it, but it, it had a, it, it it stuck with me. That's that's yeah. 30, that's 30, 32 years ago. That's a yeah. long time ago. But the, every you know. That's pretty deep. Everybody, yeah, it's deep. <laughs> it, it is deep. And look, and I'm, that's not to say that there aren't that. Look, we have evil in the world. We yeah. have, re but, but it, the most evil human is still a human, and it just, it just kind of, it also keeps me. It, it, it checks me when I'm wanting to be a little too judgmental. Yeah, keeps you grounded. Scene. What is your most prized possession? My most prized possession. Mm -hmm. Could be something that has a lot of sentimental value oh, to yeah. you. Oh yeah, there are two things. Okay. There'll be toss-ups. All right. So tell me about them both. In when, on my fifteenth birthday, my father decided to convert to Catholicism. He had he had been, he was a Moravian Brethren, which is a, a Czechoslovakian religion that we don't have around here. Uh, but we were all raised Catholic mm -hmm. and went to Catholic school and. Um, my dad uh, decided he wanted to convert, and I was, and I, and I, I don't want to take credit for it, but you know he saw everybody in the family in our faith. But I was also a, in high school at a Catholic school, and I was starting to go to retreats, and um, so dad, dad, 
was baptized and confirmed on my 15th birthday. And we as a family gave him uh, a, a, a scapular. And we gave him a, gave him a, gave him a medal. And um, when he passed away, it's what I got. Uh, on, when my son, Jacob, my older son, was confirmed, I gave him that medal, but replaced it with one that looked identical to it. So that medal, and it was a time, I remember when we were traveling, we were all as a family on, a, on vacation, and I thought I lost it. And my kids got to see, and they were in high school at the time probably, they got to see how important it was to me. Wow. So it, yeah. It, 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 so that possession, and the other thing is another sentimental thing. I have a, a, a Martin guitar. I'm a guitar player, and I have a, a guitar that belonged to my uncle, my mother's brother, who after my father died, became the father, a father figure to me as well. Mm -hmm. uh, he died uh, of cancer s a little over six years ago, and uh, I, got his, I got his Martin guitar. And that guitar, I thought the other day, if. If there was a fire in the house, I would, I'd, I would grab the, I'd grab my family. Yeah. Uh, pets? Do you have? I probably pets? not grab because they're yeah. cats. They'd run away. You know. Um, <laughs> we, we, I'm, I'm a dog person who owns cats, which don't. I, I get I don't it. Wanna, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'd grab that guitar. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm, I'm sentimental. You know. I'm, I'm, and as I've gotten older, I realize I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am. I'm an old softy. You know, mm -hmm. and. And little things like that matter, you know. Well, speaking of that, do you have any fears or phobias? Ooh. I'm, as, I, as I get older, I'm increasingly afraid of clowns. And I don't know why. Maybe, I don't know why. Is it a Stephen King? I think maybe okay. clowns are getting scarier. You know, when I was a kid, a Ronald McDonald was a clown. Uh, and that was really the only, and, and we didn't, you know, and, and then, then Krusty the Clown came along in my adulthood through the but, Simpsons. But Krusty and, so I had Krusty and Ronald. Well, now you've got, you got John Wayne Gacy and his, <laughs> you know, and you got, you know, you yeah. got the, you got it, you know, right. the, so I'm, yeah, I'm getting okay, a clowns. little creepy, a little, I mean, not, it's not an all blown, all blown phobia. Right. I have friends, I know a couple of people that are absolutely Fright, deathly afraid of clowns. Yeah, I do too. And these are grown men, yeah. and it's not a joke. I, you yeah, know, we yeah. used to pick on them like, "Hey, you're afraid of clowns?" No. It, it's 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 a serious thing. It so, is. Is. no, I'm I'm afraid of I'm 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 afraid of clowns. Okay. You know, if I, one were to walk into the room right now, I would I wouldn't run, but it would be like, oh, I wouldn't. You would be a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I would be uncomfortable. Okay. I I think that's a good way to put. I think clown clowns make me uncomfortable. I'm not, I'm not, not but it's getting scared. worse. Okay. So, it, you know, I might end up being afraid of it. Okay, gotcha. Seeing what is your favorite decade and why? <laughs> My favorite decade is the 80s. Okay. I think most, I, should, I don't want to speak for everybody. I think a lot of people's favorite decade is the decade when they went to high school yeah. and college. Yeah. I graduated from high school in 1983. Uh, the 80s for me was, were my high school years at Vermillion Catholic in Abbeville, which were great years, uh, great friends, great memories. Um, Abbeville is a great town. Um, and, and, then, and then going to, you know, went to LSU for a semester for the one pre-veterinary medicine semester. Mm -hmm. And then came back to USL. Uh, in the 80s, I, 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 
took a year off of school to work for a congressional campaign. So I got that experience. Um, the music of the 80s, although I, I'm, I'm, my siblings were older, I, we've always been into music. My father was a musician. My brother and sisters are musicians. Um, so their, but their music was, was the Beatles, was yeah. John Denver, James Taylor, that kind of stuff. So I love that stuff. But, but the 80s, you know, it's not, the, the, the music of the 80s brings back memories, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I was not a Ronald Reagan guy, so the, the, I didn't like the politics of the 80s. Okay. And I've always been political. Uh, but I worked in politics, ironically, for a year. Yeah, the 80s, you know, okay. um, the beginning of, you know, early computers. I can remember mm -hmm. one of my friends bought a, uh, what was the first Apple computer, uh, um, an Apple II or whatever they were yeah. called. Yeah. Uh, so starting to have technology, mm -hmm. first bag phone. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. MTV was MTV. You yeah, actually they saw, actually played yeah, they actually played videos. Um, <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I would say the 80s okay. were my favorite decade. Okay. Well, we're nearing the end of the interview. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to talk about? I, I, in, in looking at some of what some other folks have talked about in, in their community quotes, mm -hmm. common, uh, a common question is, you know, who would you like to visit with? Yes. So I wish you had asked me that, even though I don't well, really, I don't really know the answer. I, I couldn't, I couldn't really come up with an answer. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, so, so a few things came to mind. Okay. Uh, I would like to, you know, alive figures. I would love to, and as a music, I would love to, and I have this dream really often. Okay. I have a recurring dream about once a year that I'm driving in a pickup truck on McKinley Street here in Lafayette when it was the Strip. Okay. Uh, so in the '80s. And I'm driving around Bruce Springsteen, and we're just talking, Great. and we're hanging out. So I'd like to visit. I would love to visit with Bruce Springsteen. I understand he talks an awful lot. He's self-absorbed. Really? So I think we would get. We would. You know. We. You know. We. We. So Bruce Springsteen, Willie Nelson, because I'd like. You know, my father. Willie Nelson's music reminds me of my dad. My dad uh, introduced me to Willie Nelson's music. Uh, so just to kind of share that story. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't come up with five. The other person that that I would like to have historical person I would like to have spent time with, believe it or not, is Malcolm X. Okay. Um, I know a lot of folks talk about Dr. Martin Luther King, and 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 that would be great too. Rightfully so. But it was you know historically there were two different perspectives. There was the nonviolence of Martin Luther King, right. and with Malcolm it was the no means necessary. It was a more mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I appreciate that perspective. I understand that perspective. And I think we know an awful lot about the, the life and times of Dr. King. Mm -hmm. But I would like to, as a white person, to sit across the table from Malcolm X and right. just have a conversation. Right. You know? Someone um, that I interviewed recently mentioned Malcolm X as well, that they would love to have him at the dinner table. And I asked the question, if he or, or Martin Luther King Jr. were alive today, what do you think they would think about our society? Do you think they would think we're even more divided than before? Do you think that their deaths were in vain? I think I, I, well, I think that doc, my I think that Dr. King would appreciate some of the progress we have made, mm -hmm. but would would dislike the the the, the division, the nastiness. Mm -hmm. 
um, and would I think they would both think that there's more work to be done. Mm -hmm. I think I think Malcolm X would be livid uh, because you know, imagine Malcolm X in a world where we're seeing uh, where we're seeing police abuse. Mm -hmm. Imagine Malcolm X in a, in a, in in a, in a world where a lot of the things that he spoke about that were going on, we know are going on mm -hmm. and are going on in 2018, right. 50 years after Dr. King was killed. Mm -hmm. So I, th I don't, I think they would both feel like the, it's certainly an incomplete, the, the, the message, message is incomplete. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if, if, if Malcolm X's presence would not have led to violence yeah. in today's world. You know, uh, there was there were there was some violence associated with, you know, with rioting. That was, but that was just frustration. I know that uh, when Dr. King was exposed to Malcolm and his followers, uh, it, you know, everything that I've read and, and even documentaries I've seen, it caught him off guard. Sure. That there were people who said, you know, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton talks about how in 1968, you know, it was not admirable in New York City to be a Dr. King disciple. You know, you were it, that even though Malcolm was dead, uh, it, th that was more of a feeling of, mm -hmm. you know, we we need to stop taking it. So I, it would just be, it, yeah. I think I, you know, I, I think we've benefited from their legacies. But I, as tragic, this may sound really tragic, but uh, I'm I'm kind of glad they're not around to see it, mm -hmm. you know, um, because I, it, it would a lot of what they work for, in my opinion, I think they would think. Where did, what did it get us, you know, yeah. some, some rights, right. but not a, not a changing of, not a changing of society mm -hmm. that I, that. You mentioned that you've always been interested in politics and following elected officials. Do you have any political aspirations? I did at one time. I don't anymore. Um, Why? What changed? I, I, I got, I, I got burnt out on politics, uh, it, it, just because of its, I got jaded uh, because of the the dirty side of politics, mm -hmm. you know, back going back to the '80s and '90s, you know, that it was it was it wasn't about it wasn't about public service, mm -hmm. it was about money, it was about power, um, the the polarization of our country. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't work well. I couldn't get elected uh, because I'm I'm not I'm. I think I'm too moderate. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly progressive, uh, but I don't believe, I, I don't like the fact that I feel like we all, that we have two options. Mm -hmm. And you, if you're in this corner, you have to check off these boxes that say, I believe this and okay, I got it. Mm -hmm. Okay, I signed up for this side, so I gotta do this. That wouldn't work for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm also quite in practicality, it's to be a public servant. If I was to be a, a Louisiana lawmaker, you have to have the right career that allows you to get away and, and yeah. go serve. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I want I want to make a difference. Uh, but I think we make a difference by um, I think we make a difference by talking. Mm -hmm. I think we make a difference by dialogue. Yeah. Uh, there, that talk leads to action. But I think that we make a difference in 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 discussing issues. We've got to find common ground. I don't know uh, I don't know how that's going to happen. Um, uh, I know that there are people that believe passionately about their stance uh, that is the exact opposite of mine mm -hmm. and come about it through perfectly pure motives. Mm -hmm. um, 
so but I think that there's too much of I think we are in an age of we are in an age of affirmation not an age of information and that has to change yes, it does. and that changes by talking mm -hmm. I fortunately like to talk but it, it's talking it's having a discussion it's uh, I have friends who I have one of my best friends in the world he's a, a, a brother from another mother mm -hmm. we have always been on the opposite sides politically mm -hmm. we have never ever had a, a cross word between ourselves over any issue much less politics for two reasons number one we know that we disagree so what's the point right we know that we aren't going to change the other person's core mm -hmm. so what's the point mm -hmm. and we know that the other person loves their children loves their country loves their creator so we don't go there right. but what we always do when we do discuss politics is we we have kind of an unwritten rule that we say I, I see your point or I understand why you would think that way and it, it totally it allows he and I to talk about things again I don't think we ever change each other's mind but we, we don't we don't try to change each right. other's mind and I think that respect it seems mutual and it seems like that's what works and that's that's what make it makes a good friendship yeah we we need we need dialogue in our country we need respect in our country and we need humility in our country we need the humility of people to stop thinking I've got to I've got to be right uh, I've got to I can't admit that I made a mistake I can't admit that the way that I've approached things all along has been wrong uh, I've got to be humble enough to think there might be a different way because what you know what I say to people it's a, it's okay to admit that something you thought is no longer the truth you know, I, for a long time, I'll use an analogy for you, and a, and, a, and, a, and a friend of mine unloaded this on me. He asked me a simple question. Does the sun rise in the east and set in the west? And my answer to that was yes. And his response was, what if I pointed out to you that the sun doesn't move, the earth rotates, and it makes it appear as though the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Which one of us is right? The point being, you might not know what you think you know. Exactly. So, so be open to it. Thank you so much. Thank you.